All right, Matthew chapter 12, and uh, we'll get started here this evening. Matthew chapter 12, and uh, we're going to go back up and catch a verse. We finished the chapter last time, but I want to go back up and catch verse 40, because uh, there's a verse here that as we were going down through the context of what was going on, I didn't want to stop and talk about it in a lot of detail. Uh, chapter 12 here in verse number 40 for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be there, be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, that verse is a verse that, again, leaving it in its context is one thing, but we're going to look at it outside of its context. And that is a verse that is really a proof text that demonstrates that the Lord Jesus Christ did not die on Friday. Okay? There, come over to Matthew 27. There is tradition that says that he died on Good Friday. At Matthew 27, verse number 62. The next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate saying, Sirs, we remember that the deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. So what happens is, is in the, in the New Bibles, they translate that issue there and they say the day following Friday. They'll, put, they'll run that in there. And uh, again, that's not exactly what happens because in chapter 28, verse 1, in the, end of the Sabbath, uh, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. So the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected on the first day of the week. And we understand this. And, and, and again, what, what Matthew 12, 40 does is it changes, it sets some things there that really kind of kick tradition and, and, and fundamentalism in the teeth, if you will. So he uh, was he was resurrected on uh, on the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath. So he's crucified a day prior to the Sabbath. So the common teaching then is that the Lord Jesus Christ died, was crucified on Friday. That's how you, you know. Then he's resurrected Sunday mornings, so that lets the day be Sunday. So he's up Sunday morning, and they come to the tomb. They see he's gone, and uh, really, though, when you begin to count backwards, and that's what you have to do, it, it they say it was Friday, but it's really Thursday, okay? And uh, the traditional date for the crucifixion has always been on Friday. That's how religion said it come over to John 19, but really what begins to happen is we begin to understand that that's just not the case. John 19 and verse 31. John 19, 31. <clears throat> the Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So he is to be crucified before the Sabbath day. 
They want him taken off the cross because they can't come and take him off the cross on the Sabbath day. So that would be a violation of their law. So the idea is, is that he's down off that Sabbath day and that the Sabbath day is Saturday. And, and, and that is right, by the way. It is Saturday. And uh, he's going to be resurrected the next day. So come back to Matthew 12. So what begins to happen here? is you start doing some counting. So you're going to have a day, all right, and a night, verse 40. You're going to have a day. What does he say? For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So then you have a day. How many days? One, two, three, four, five days. Five days. Oh, my goodness. Jordan's adding days. One, two, three, four. Well, we're going to do something here, so that's why. Okay? All right? So, he, we know that he's resurrected on Sunday. He's up. Okay? So, if we back up three, three nights, three days, two nights, two days, one night, one day. This is going to be Saturday. This is going to be Friday. There's Thursday. Okay? And so we'll, we're going to just kind of look at it. Tradition says Friday. The fundamentalists say, no, it's Wednesday. And we're, that's going to end up being too much time there as well. All right, so the Sabbath day, the Saturday, is a regular Sabbath. But this Friday is also a Sabbath. We'll see it in just a minute. It's called a holy day, but it's considered a Sabbath. It's a special Sabbath. We'll talk about that here in just a minute, okay? You kind of get all that up on the board there. Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly. So if you count from Friday to Sunday, you're going to have not enough time because he's really up early on this day. The ladies come way before the daylight, okay, is there. Do you remember when he dies on the cross? He goes at 9 a.m., and he's dead by 3 in the afternoon. So there's a day, one day, one night, two days, two nights, third day, third night. And he's up during the early hours. Now what happens here, by the way, he says he's going to go into the heart of the earth. That is not a reference to his burial. That's a reference to him going down where he dies, when he gives up the ghost. And when he dismisses his spirit and his soul and he goes down to Abraham's bosom, okay, there's three days and three nights. That's what the, 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 in the heart of the earth, the heart of the earth is a reference to just that, okay? Am I, am I, you got me? I'm trying to go slow. I got, slow down, <laughs> Okay, I came up here the other day, and I wanted to teach 
I had to reteach something. And I went through the material in 30 minutes, what took me an hour to do before, because we had some technical difficulties. So I, I just said, leave the technical difficulties, because I'll do it again later, much later. Okay? So when you see this issue here, about three days and three nights... The heart of the earth, again, it's when he gave up the ghost, he comes down when he died. Not when they buried him. By the way, they bury him a little bit later in the evening. Before the evening time hit, they buried him. Now, come over with me just real quick so you understand that it's three days. So, again, Friday is usually what the traditional folks say. All right? The fundamentalist groups say Wednesday. But you never heard anyone really say Thursday till you heard me or dad or somebody, okay? And, and here's why. Come over to 1 Corinthians 15. <clears throat> Just look at some verses here. 1 Corinthians 15. And, and again, it's, it's like that issue when we go and date the birth of Christ. You kind of got to go backwards a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received... How that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, which day? Third day, according to the scripture. So he rose again after three days. Is that what that says? No. No, it doesn't say that, does it? See? The third day. He rose again the third day. Not after three days. See that? The third day. All right? So if you do something after three days, then what, what are you going to have? The fourth day. It doesn't say that. See, see what, what happens is that's where the fundamentalists do it. Say, oh, after three days he rose. Now we can go Wednesday. See, that's not what that verse says. That verse says that he was buried and rose again the third day. See, okay. Yep. All right. If he died here, Luke 24. Run over to Luke 24. So the date of his crucifixion, he's down one, two, three nights, one day, two night, three nights. Okay. Luke 24. I got to get there. I'm looking at three different note pages up here. So just give me Luke 24. Okay, he would have come up after the third day during the fourth night, and that's not the case. Luke 24, and look, if you will, at the beginning, verse 1. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. So they come on the first day of the week, Sunday. All right? The ladies come, and you know what? He's gone. He's not there on the fourth day. He's risen. Now, again, we're going day and night, day and night, day and night, three days and three nights, and then he's up. All right? Now drop down to verse 5. 
And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? What had happened was, the Lord is here in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. On that third night, he went up, set the linen clothes where they needed to be, put everything right where it was, kicked the stone loose, and went on, okay, and went up. He does that in the night. How do you know that? The ladies come very early, pre-dawn, and what do they find? The angel's sitting there going, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's gone. He was gone here in the night hours. Drop down to verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. That same day, what day? Sunday, first day of the week. Drop down to verse 21. You got the two on the road here, and they're talking back and forth, and the Lord joins the conversation. They don't know it's him. But we trust, verse 21, but we trusted that it had been he which would have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. So they notice that. It, Sunday is the third day since these things were done. If Sunday is the third day since it was done, what day would Saturday since it was done? Two days. What day is Friday since it was done? Day one. Then what day was it done on? Thursday. You see, going backwards, verses begin to show that. So if you're, if you're going to say that it's the third day since it was done, that's like say it happened three days ago, and you're going to work your way backwards. You follow that, I hope. Okay? Okay, yeah. Now go back there to Matthew 12. That's why I drew it up there. I always get myself in trouble when I draw it up on the board, but it helps me, okay? So when he says here he's going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, now you have to be very, notice this very carefully here, because how did a Jew count a day? Well, what does Genesis 1 say, the beginning of the Jewish Bible? The evening and the morning were the first day. So they count an evening and a morning. So today is Wednesday. At 6 p.m. tonight, this is 7.30 now, at 6 p.m. this evening, it would, they would have said was Thursday, started Thursday. So they but the Lord has adjusted the, the timing. Paul in 1 Thessalonians says, Night and day I have prayed for you. And again, that's the way they counted the days. But the passage does it backwards. Because the Lord Jesus Christ knew that this thing, that he knew that when this was coming out there, that he was going to go down during the daytime. He knew he was going to be on the cross till 3 in the afternoon. Well, 3 in the afternoon, he's got to say what? Daytime. Because he's at daytime. 
because the, the next day, so he, he, had, he, he tweaks the, count, the counting, if you will. And uh, again, it, it's not enough to say that he's just making a general reference to three days and, and the three nights. And the nights aren't important because he isn't doing that. Rather, he's being very specific. And if you said that the evening and the morning was the first day, and it's going to be in three evenings and morning, that, you know, that, a lot of confusion here, okay? He doesn't say that. The, the expression three days and three nights is because he knew that that event was going to happen during the daylight hours. So he starts it that way. Then you have the people who come up and say that the expression three days and three nights is a reference to 72 hours. And the, 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 that expression does not necessitate a 72-hour period of time. Three days. Well, three days, a day and a night makes up 24, right? So what do you have? You have 72 hours, but we do a lot of things. I mean, you, you think about flying on an airplane. If you jumped on an airplane, we don't do today, Wednesday, and you left this morning at 10 o'clock and you went to Chicago and you got there at 6 o'clock in the evening, what, 6 o'clock on, on Wednesday, well, you would say what? I started, I was at, was I in Phoenix on Wednesday? Yeah, but I was also in Chicago on Wednesday. It's not a necessary of 72 hours, it's a, Hey, this happened on this day. So that day. Yeah, he, he was on the cross from 9 till 3 p.m. Yeah. In the Jewish thinking, yes, but it's still the day. Yes, you're right, exactly. Okay? So when he says three days, three nights, he's not talking 72 hours. Because there's a piece of it there, there's a whole night, a whole day, a whole night, a whole day, and there's a piece of a night over here where he's getting everything ready, and the angels come, roll the stones away, and off he goes. And he's, well, he's gone way before they roll the stone away, okay? Do you follow that? You, so don't let somebody say, oh, well, it's 72 hours. No, it's not. Because we understand, the Lord understood it's a piece of the day, so we call it, again, if I'm here on Phoenix on Wednesday and I go to Chicago on Wednesday, it's still what? Wednesday, even though I'm in two different places, all right? So go back with me to uh, let's do this. Go back to Matthew 27 and go get John 19 again, and let's answer that issue there. I was trying to think of what kind of people say about it. And, and again, the reason that you know Friday won't fit is that it demands three nights. The reason you know Wednesday won't fit is that it means that he has to come up on Saturday afternoon. If he died here at 3 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, he's got to get over here. So it's, it's on Saturday, not Sunday, but on Saturday. And we know that that's not the case. The reason that, you know, Thursday fit is because the two on Sunday said, 
it was the third day since it happened. And you go backwards to three days. All right? Matthew 27 and John 19. Go back there real quick, and let's just clean up a little bit here. And uh, quite honestly, I'll answer this, and we'll get over into chapter 13 a little bit. I just, last week, we just, there was just not enough time to go through this in the study, and it's just easier to clean it up here. Matthew 27, 62. Now the next day the follow, that followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that the deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And he said unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last heir shall be worse than the first. Now notice, he set the, 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 the soldiers on a three-day watch, okay? That would have been a long watch for the guys. Three days, standing guard. So, again, it's, it's pieces of it. But what I want you to catch is that issue about the day of preparation. Now, come over to John 19, verse 30. And this is where you have to understand what's going on in Israel's program. Because if you don't, then this, right, this issue here, the preparation will throw a monkey wrench in what you're thinking in a heartbeat. Okay? John 19, verse number 30. By the way, I have listed 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 references about third-day usage all through the Old Testament where it's not a whole 24-hour period of time. It's pieces of it, chunks of it. Okay? And uh, I thought about running them, but I didn't, I don't want to. <laughs> because if we run them all, we'll never get done. And I want to get done and get on in Matthew 13. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he, gave, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So he just died. Three o'clock in the afternoon. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. Now, that's legit. They were to pull him down before the Sabbath day. But notice the parenthesis. For that Sabbath day was a high day. So that tells me something. That tells me that the Sabbath day that followed the crucifixion of Christ was a special high day. It wasn't the normal Sabbath day. It was a high day, a holy day, a special day. Okay? Verse 14. Go back up to verse 14. And it was the preparation of the Passover. And about the sixth hour he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. You see that issue about the preparation of the Passover? Now, According to Exodus 12 and Leviticus 23, 
What day was the Passover day? This day in the month Nisan or Abib, the what day? 14th day was Passover. Okay? They were to start on the 10th day. They were to go out. They were to prepare the Passover lamb. They were to go out. They were to pick the lamb that was perfect without blemish. Okay? And then they were to watch that lamb. And they were to watch him on day 10, 11, 12, 13. They were going to kill him on the 14th. They're going to eat him on the 14th into the 15th. Eat here. Now, we're not talking about the Lord. We're talking about the lamb, okay? All right? And then on the 15th, that began, Leviticus 23, the feast of unleavened bread. Okay? Passover is one day. Unleavened bread then was to run seven days out to the 21st. You with me? Okay? When the Lord dies, crucifixion, it happens to fall where there's a Sabbath day, a regular Sabbath day involved, but this first day of that Feast of Unleavened Bread, go back to Leviticus 23 and you read it, is a holy convocation. No servile work is to be done. It is a special day. It is a special Sabbath day. No work's to be done. So when they come to Pilate on Thursday... They say, look, we got to get these guys down before we start our Passover stuff. Okay? Now, they're thinking evening, day, you know, they're, they're thinking a little different than what the Lord had said. The third, so, by the way, you do the thing back, and we've done this. This is his entry in, uh, into Jerusalem, we call that Palm Sunday, don't we, in religion, okay? Now, the point is, is this preparation. If you don't catch that on the first day of that issue of unleavened bread, you're looking at me funny, so let's go back to Leviticus 23. Folks, you under, <laughs> we need to know this stuff better than anybody else because this is our Lord and Savior. He is who we talk about and think about. Just like when we date the birth of Christ, we know he wasn't born December 25th. He's born later. How do we get that? Luke 1, the back, and you back it all backwards using John the Baptist. And we've done that here. Look, if you will, at Luke, at Leviticus 23, verse number 3, um, um, verse 4. These are the feasts of the Lord, even... Holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in the seasons, in the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. What's going to happen on the fourteenth day in evening? Passover. What have they done? They've put the lamb out. They've watched him. He's without blemish, without spot. They kill him. They're going to eat all night. They don't leave any of it. Eat it all or burn it up. Verse 6, 
On the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Now watch, in the first day ye shall have a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. And it's going to go out for seven days. This Friday is a day that is special. That's why John 19 says it is a holy, it is a high day, sorry, calls it a high day. Why? Because it's the beginning of unleavened, you know, it's beginning of the system. Now, for the Lord, on the calendar for when the Lord passed, would died, it just happened to be on a Saturday, a Friday and a Saturday combo, okay? Because next year the calendar is going to shift the day here or two, whatever. So this could have been, the 14th day could have been on Monday or any other year. But this year it just happened to be in this mechanism, okay? That's why it's the 14th day. It doesn't say Tuesday, because then they would be, then the calendar set. Now go back to Matthew 13, all right? So I know Easter was a couple weeks ago, first of the month. The Lord is crucified on Thursday. That's day one in the grave, day, nine, day one, Friday, day two, night two, Saturday, day three, night three. He's up, the ladies come, he's gone, okay? And again, in the heart of the earth, has nothing to do when they bury him. Because what happens when they come around? They come around to break their legs, and he's what? He's already gone. <clears throat> he, in that noon hour, he's got the battle with three hours of darkness where the sun is darkened out. That's the noon hour, okay? He does that battle on the cross with the, with the adversary. So by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he's gone on that day, okay? All right, now we come to Matthew 13. And let's take 15 minutes or so here and just introduce it to you. I didn't want to do all that last week because I wanted to finish the chapter. Yes, ma'am? That's the, in the three, the three hours of darkness, that's the battle with Satan, over the souls of men. They go, to, they go to war. The enmity that's between them, Genesis 3, 15, there's an enmity, there's been a fight going on since the Garden of Eden between the Lord and between Satan. Seed of Adam. Yeah, I know. It's a spiritual battle. It's not a physical out front where everybody, it's a spiritual battle. He's, yep, he says in Isaiah, who's going to come and contend with him? Let him come. Let him come. Let's go to let's go to war. And it's a yeah, it's a spiritual battle in those hours of darkness, and it's darkness that can be felt. So it's a spiritual issue, but it's also going to darkens out the uh, the sky. It ends with the veil in the temple being rent. You remember which way it's ripped? Top to bottom. <laughs> Because he does it. The, it's, he's done. Okay? It's, man would do it from bottom to top. The Lord does it top to bottom. Okay? All right? So that's 
how you kind of know is, and what Matthew 12, honestly, what Matthew 12 verse 40 does by saying three days and three nights instead of three night, okay, is that it, he adjusts the way he's counting time because he knows that when he dies, he's going to, that son's going to be, he knows the events. He knows the daylight is there, okay? All right, Matthew 13 now. And, and, and again, like I said, we ought to know this stuff about the Lord and his birth and his death inside and out. And, and I just gave you a couple of the wacky ideas about stuff, you know. So I read one guy had him on Saturday, dying, everything doing on Saturday. And his explanation of the day and night thing was, well, it's only seconds with the Lord. It isn't like a clicking on a t- clock. And it's like, oh, you know, just really goofy stuff. But, it, you know, people have it. All right, Matthew 13. So, again, you just want to have, uh, as, as I tell folks when we talk about the dating of the birth of Christ or the crucifixion, you have your convictions, you have your beliefs, and uh, you, you have the liberty to have them. And, and when you go and talk to people about them, you better watch out because they got some... <laughs> They're going to throw eggs at you quick, okay? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's all the same thing, all the same words. Yeah. It's a holy convocation. Uh, John calls it a high day, okay? It's all the same terminology. It just means it is considered a Sabbath day. No work is to be done on that day. They're to eat. They're to come up and, and do nothing that day. It just so happens that it falls also that they're going to have, they got a four-day weekend or a two-day week, three-day weekend. That's what, just what it means, okay? All right, Matthew 13, verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he began, sorry, I took my glasses off. You know, one of the goofy things about everything being shut down is I need an eye exam because my prescriptions, and you can't. They're not even open because it's it's non-essential, you know. So I told Linda, I said, as soon as you guys get the eye exam stuff on your schedule, I'm in. Anyway, verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, what's going to happen here in Matthew 13 is we're going to begin to see this issue about parables. Now, there are three great discourses in the book of Matthew. The first great discourse is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We saw that. It contains the principles of the kingdom, how things are going to work. Matthew 13 is the second great discourse, and it's going to contain the parables of the kingdom. All right? Matthew 24 is the third great discourse, and that's the Olivet Discourse, and it's going to contain the, prof- contains the prophecies of the kingdom. So you've got... Matthew, the um, principles of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Then you've got the parables of the kingdom, Matthew 13. 
Then you have prophecies of the kingdom, Matthew 24. So you've got these different things, these principles. One is from Mount Olivet. One is in a mountain. Okay. And then there the sermon on, you know, the sermon on the mount. And in between them, you've got the valley here about the parables in the middle. So you've got on a mountain, on a mountain, and down in the valley. And again, the big question with the parables is why Christ began to speak in them, what the parables are all about, and then how you're going to interpret the parables. Those three issues are, it's critical that we get those three straight in our thinking because when you get into the parables, people got some weird ideas about them and they got a, oh, he spoke in parables to make the truth plainer. But when you get down here and we get into this, that isn't the case at all. <laughs> if anything, it was to muddy the waters even muddier. <laughs> so verse 1, the same day, we'll take the next 10, 15, 5, 15 minutes and just get this introduced. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. The same day. Uh, that's going to be a reference back, obviously, into chapter 11 and 12. Uh, so if you go back to chapter 11, verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities, wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. He began to upbraid the cities. He begins to chastise them for their unbelief. Verse 25, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. He gives the invitation to come unto him. And they don't do that. Chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went on, the sa- uh, uh, went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered, and he began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. Again, at that time, it's all the same day. It's all on this Sabbath day. The disciples go out. Verse 14, the, they, the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, how they might destroy him. The people see it, verse 22 here, he's going to do some miracles in their midst. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb. He healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. By the way, there's a threefold miracle in that verse. Hopefully you notice that. The guy is, one, possessed of the devil. Two, he's blind. And three, he's dumb. And it's interesting, three, three, three. We see the threes all the time, over and over again. He heals him. The people get it, by the way. They understand it. The Pharisees, verse 24, say he's what? He's of the devil. He's of Beelzebub. Verse 49, chapter 12, 49. And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren... For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. In other words, Christ is, (laughs) because the nation has rejected him, he cuts them off. He rejects them. And the use of his mother, his Mary, has always been a type of the nation of Israel. And his brethren there, so again, 
clearly Mary repeat, is used as a type of Israel, and his family, his, his genetic connection to, come over to John 1, his, that, that genetic, that descendants thing, connection to that nation, he, he cuts it, he breaks them off. And he basically says, these people that you are related to me physically in the lineage, guess what? They're not my people. And he's going to turn now in chapter 13 to the disciple, the little flock, the apostles, and he's going to educate them. John 1, verse 11. We saw this when we were in the book of John. He came into his own, and his own received him not. That's exactly what we're seeing in Matthew 11 and 12. And Matthew 1 to 10 demonstrates who he is. He's their king. He's Messiah king. They reject him. He came to his own. Here's the lineage, the physical descendants of Abraham. They won't have him. They reject him. But, verse 12, as many as received him. And that's the issue moving forward now. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you got those two groups in Israel again. You got the apostate nation, and I held my rag out because I knew I was going to do this. And then we'll make a mess because you've got to remember this. You've got the nation of Israel here, okay? He's got my mom, my mother, and my brothers my siblings, my, and then they're apostate. And then inside of that nation, through the baptism of John, the water baptism, now you've got the 12 apostles, and you've got that little flock being built, the believing remnant, and they're out here getting people in. Okay? So now it's no longer a physical birth issue. Now it's a spiritual birth issue. That's what being born again is all about in John 3 there. The natural birth is no longer going to be the issue. Back here in time past, it was the issue. Not anymore. That's why he'll tell them, look, he can go make sons of Abraham out of those stupid rocks over there. That's not the issue anymore. And again, up to this point, that issue was the physical nation. That's why he says, again there in John 3 to Nicodemus, John 3 verse 7, Marvel not that I say unto you, ye must be born again. Again, that, that's not a physical thing, that's a spiritual issue now. you know. And, and when, he, when he does that, I, I heard a guy say, you and I are born again because, but we never were born of God. Israel was born of God. They, they needed a spiritual birth to happen. See? They didn't need to be physically born. They were already there. You and I were born of mom and dad. That's where our physical lineage goes. So they need a birth again here. He's going to go and die at the Calvary three days up and up. Then we have that axe period here where they're going to keep on doing what they're doing. And then he's going to 
throw a uh-oh in it, an interruption with the Apostle Paul and the issue of the body of Christ, and, he's, and Israel's going to fall and do all that stuff. That's why I said to you last time, the fall of Israel, go back to Matthew 13. Every, all the old-time preacher guys, and I've, been, and I've read them, they, they put the fall of Israel in Matthew 12, and it's not. It's in Acts 7. We understand that. But when you come to Matthew 13, 1, the same day, the day when he's making it, making clear his rejection, they've come to a point, and we're at, this is a crisis point, if you will, in the ministry of Christ. Because from here onward, he's no longer dealing with that nation like he did previously. Actually, he begins to withdraw himself from the nation. What did he do? Verse 1, 13.1. He out of the house. <laughs> he goes out of the house, a type of the nation of Israel, sits by the sea. And then the multitudes come on him, and he gets out in a boat in the middle of the sea. He's, he keeps putting distance between him and them. He's withdrawing himself from the people. And now he's just going to deal with those, the folks here, and he's going to begin to train that little flock for the ministry and that he's going to have, and that they're going, he's going to have up to, his, up to Calvary, and then that they're going to take on after Calvary when the Holy Spirit comes back and that issue of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and all that comes into play. Spiritual. Okay, so that same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seashore. Again, the house is a type of the nation of Israel. Come over with me to Isaiah 57. And uh, he, they, they, the seaside, the sea, Isaiah 57, over and over in Scripture, the issue of the sea is a type, a picture of the nations, the Gentiles. Revelation 13, that beast comes up out of the sea. And everybody goes, oh, the Mediterranean. Well, there's more to it than it's coming up out of the people, the nations. Isaiah 57, verse 20. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. See that wicked are like the troubled sea? There's a, that picture there. So think about what the Lord does here. He, he's, he goes out of the house. He sits down by the seaside. By the way, Israel, a picture of Israel in the Abrahamic covenant back there in Genesis is that, the, that his seed will be as the sand by the sea. So he's, he's still sitting there with Israel, okay? His heart is longingly looking over at the sea out there, the Gentiles, that the type of the Gentiles. He is, he's troubled that Israel isn't ready to go save the nations out there. So what does he do? Verse 2. He goes and gets in a ship and sat. I'm sorry, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him so that he went into a ship and sat and the whole multitude stood on the sea. He goes out onto the sea and speaks to Israel from the sea. He speaks back to the Israelites from that sea. 
he's out there on a place where his heart is, longing to see men get saved. He knows Israel has to be the channel. He understands the covenants. And yet he's sitting on that sea out there, beginning to speak back to them. Verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. He goes out on the sea there, he's out of the house, and he begins to speak to them and, 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 and unto them in parables. And this is where he starts speaking in parables. Now, run down to verse 36, okay? Because this is really what begins to get to be the interesting part here. Verse 36, 1336. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parables of the tares of the field. All right? So we're going to, <laughs> he's going to give them a bunch of parables, and then he's going to tell them how to understand them. Now, there are seven parables in Matthew 13. There are seven parables. Four are external parables, where he is outside of the house. Outside the house. Three are internal parables, where he would be what? In the house, inside. Okay? What is the number four? Who does that represent in Scripture? Do you remember? The world. Who does number three represent? God. The Godhead. The three. Okay? By the way, there are 12 parables in the whole book. Seven of them sit in Matthew 3. Five of them come, over, come on later on. We'll get to them. But, yeah, after Matthew 13, there's five later in the book. We'll see them as we go. Twelve parables about the kingdom. And the ones here in, Mer in, in Matthew are given into the two sections. One in Matthew 7, we've kind of already seen. Four of them here outside of the house. The last three inside the house. And off we go. Now, go back in Matthew 13, go back to verse 3. And I just will read it here and, and just see the parable. We'll pick up in it and go down through it, okay? Verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had much, not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now he gives them that parable. And, and again, these are a brand new way of him teaching. He's never, he hasn't taught this way before. And the first occurrence here of that word parable is right here 
in, 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 in these verses, uh, verse 3 and verse 10. Look at verse 10. And the disciples came and spake unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Think about this. He's out on the boat. He's not, he's not yelling, but because he's God. <laughs> you know, he's, he's speaking back to him this parable. They're on the other, they're on the seashore, and they're yelling back to him. Why are you teaching us this way? What's going on here? They're kind of surprised about it in verse 10, okay? They don't expect it. Now, it's, again, it's going to be a little different way of teaching. Now, in verse 11 to 17, he's going to explain it. But watch verse 11. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given for whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance but whosoever hath not for him shall be taken away even that he hath therefore speak i to them in parables because they seeing see not and hearing they hear not neither do they understand and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of isaiah and off he goes isaiah 6 notice what he for the first time He's going to talk to them in parables. Why? So that the believing remnant get it and the apostate nation don't. Okay? He interprets three parables for us here as we're going to go through. The parable of the sower, the, the tares among the wheat, and the grain and so forth. He, we're going to walk down through them. Okay? And on the basis of the way that he interprets these three parables, you then are given enough information to know how to interpret all other parables. Okay? So, time's up. So, we're going to pick up in here. But what you have to... By the way, that word parable, okay? You see para and bull... Parable, para, beside. Now, the B-L-E, the Greek word on that is B-O-L-E, okay? And that means to throw. To throw beside, okay? It means, uh, the, the word para means to come alongside, B-O-L-E, bowl, B-O-L-E. That's the Greek spelling of the B-L-E. So what he's going to do here is he, he, he's going to, he said, here's a truth. Here's the information. And he's going bring to bring up alongside of that a corresponding illustration that's going to illustrate and teach the truth. Okay? That's just what he's going to do. But the thing is, is this is for them, not them. So when people say, oh, he's speaking in parables so that we can understand the truth. No, there's no way. You hear the guys today, by the way, he's not talking to you and I, he's talking to the little flock. 
That's the point, okay? Now, we're, we're going to work down through these, and we're going to take next week and do back and forth and just see what's going on so you can put them, kind of paint a picture for you, I hope. That's the goal, okay? All right? So we got through the first of, we got Matthew 13 introduced. But again, there's going to be seven of these bad boys, and when we get the first three under, then, by the way, that's why there's 58 verses in this chapter, because he's going to bounce back and forth. He's explaining. This is what this is going to be. This is what that's going to be, and back and forth, okay? This will be critical as we move forward because of what he's going to be doing in the other parables. So you take Matthew 13 here, you take these first three, you kind of get you a key to understand everything else, the rest of them. So you got a key, okay? And you're going to have a key, and you're going to come over here then, and you can put the, put the key, use the key to go, oh, wow, that's what he's talking about. Oh, that's what that means. They're going to get it, the little flock, the believing remnant, nobody else does, okay? All right, I know I dumped a lot of info on you, but I needed to catch up Matthew 12. I didn't want to skip verse 40 there, the three days, the three nights, because that is a critical verse that demonstrates that he was not crucified on Friday or Wednesday, that it has to be on Thursday. And in the beginning of Matthew 13 here, he's going to, for the first time, bring in parable method of teaching. And why he does it, it's for the believing remnant to get it, not the apostate nation. And also, he has now fully withdrawn himself from the nation of Israel. And it doesn't mean that they're going to not hear him teach or not be around when he does. But what it does mean is that his focus is not them. His focus is that believing remnant. Okay? All right. And I said all that in two minutes. We could have did that in the beginning and wouldn't had ice cream. <laughs> We'd had to sit in our car and eat it, but it would have been all right. Okay. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son. We thank you for the look into the life of our Savior and what he says and what he's, what he's doing. Why, and then under, being able to understand why he says what he says and he does what he does. In your name we pray. Amen.